John chapter 11, we have been introduced to the family, Lazarus, Hebrew name Eleazar, Mary and Martha, sisters, Martha's usually named first, probably the oldest. And Lazarus was sick, so the sisters send to Jesus, say, Behold, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. They don't prescribe anything. They just think if we let him know, that's good enough. And verse 4 says, When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death. It's for the glory of God. So evidently, the messenger has brought that word back to the sisters. And Jesus now, in verse 7, down to verse 16, specifically is dialoguing with the disciples. It says, after that, he said to his disciples, let's go again. Let us go to Judea again. Now, he doesn't say Bethany. Bethany was in Judea, but he says to Judea. And his disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought, it's an imperfect tense, they began to seek and are continuing to seek to stone thee. They want to put you to death. And you're going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. And Jesus certainly is drawing an allegory, both to the Romans and the Jews, between sunrise and sunset, they divided the day into 12 hours. They weren't always perfect hours, but they broke the day down that way. And that was the daytime. Jesus said, look, you walk in the daytime, you don't stumble. 12 hours, you see the light. But if you try to do the same thing at night, you walk in the darkness, you're going to stumble. And he's making a spiritual application because he already said, I am the light of the world. It already said that as long as he was in the world, he was the light of the world. So let's get the work done we need to get done while that opportunity is there. And now these guys are saying, we, we can't go up to Judea. They're going to kill you. They want to kill you before. And you, you want to walk into that again? He said, no. Look, I'm in the light. And I am the light. And as long as you're walking with me, you're secure. It's when you walk in darkness that you stumble. And the same is true in this world. The same is true for a backslidden Christian. It is when we walk in darkness that we stumble. And the sad thing is, sometimes it's not till we stumble and, and face plant that we are willing to admit we were in the darkness. Sometimes we want to do this little trade-off and live a gray life. Ain't no more gray. It's darkness and light now. All around us. And Jesus says, you walk in the light, you're not going to be stumbling. But if a man walk in the night in the darkness, he stumbles because there's no light in him. These things said he, and after he said, saith unto them, then he says, our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, that's a good thing. And then verse 13, John writes 
that for us, for the readers, us here today, this morning, he says, but Jesus spake of his death. But they thought he spoke about taking rest and sleep. So Jesus says, now it's time to go. Our friend Lazarus is sleeping. He doesn't say the guy who used to be our friend Lazarus is sleeping. He says Lazarus, who is still our friend, is sleeping. Lazarus didn't seek to, cease to exist. His physical frame died, but Lazarus was somewhere else because Jesus couldn't have called him back if he wasn't. And Jesus calls it sleeping because it's temporary. Fourteen times in the New Testament, that's allegorically used of the death of Christians. It's called sleeping, that we sleep because we're getting up again. It's temporary. A cemetery. Cemetery means sleeping place. Imagine what happens when the rapture happens. How many flowers and tombstones are going to be blown all over the place? The ancient church used to bury everybody in the ground with their head facing east. Because the scripture said that when the Son of Man comes, it'll be like the, the lightning that shines from the east to the west. So they anticipated, you want to get up facing east so you can see him as soon as you get up. Jesus is saying, look, he's sleeping. He already knows he's died. He knows he's passed on. He knows what's taken place. And it is upon knowing that that he decides then to head up to Bethany. I'm going to go wake him up wonderfully. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he's sleeping, that's, that's good. That's part of healing, getting better. If he's zonked out, that's a good thing. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, and John was there. He had to tell us just plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes. That I was not there, and for our sakes as well, that I was not there to the intent. It's a purpose clause. Here's the purpose. Here's the reason that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. The purpose of this death. I am glad. Literally, I am rejoicing. He's not rejoicing that Lazarus is dead. He's not rejoicing that his sister's hearts are broken, that friends and relatives are mourning. He's rejoicing that this sickness was not unto death, as he said, but for the glory of God, that he might be glorified by me. He is rejoicing because he's going to go wake him up. He's rejoicing because of what is ahead of them. And John said the reason he wrote this gospel is that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and believing you might have life through his name. The very reason John says we have this record is so that we might believe and we have life. So Jesus says, he's rejoicing, he says, I'm glad, I'm rejoicing for your sakes, for your sakes, that I was not there with this intention that you might believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. And then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. The chipper note there is they get ready to move on to Bethany. 
And look, we call him Doubting Thomas. <clears throat> you got to give him some cred here, right? He's not saying we better get out of here. We ain't going with you, Bob. You're on your own. He says, let's go with him. I'm, I'm willing to die for my Savior. Didn't know everything you and I know about him. But he said, let's go with him. I'll die with him. Let's, will, let's lay down our lives for this one whom we follow, our master, our teacher. He's called Didymus. John talks about him three times in his gospel. The other gospels name him with the, the disciples, the twelve, the apostles. John's the only one who talks about him three times. Each time he takes the time to tell us Thomas is called Didymus. Didymus is the Greek word for twin. We're not told who Thomas's twin brother is. He's not named. We don't know anything except we know he's a twin. We don't know if he was an identical twin to all the men in this room. That's why he was a twin, because we all fit in the picture. Or whether he was a fraternal twin to all the women in this room. But there's a space left there. He's a twin. He's a picture of us. He's wrangling through these things. Like we do sometimes. Well, that's what the Lord wants us to do. Let's go. We come see, come soft. We end up dead. We end up dead. Then we're going to go to heaven. So let's just, you know, we can have that attitude. So in verse 17 now, our attention is drawn now to the sisters from the disciples. And it's so remarkable, look, as we look at them, um, to see both of them are in grief. Both of them are mourning. Both of them are heartbroken. I don't think anyone in this room could make a decision on one being more heartbroken than the other. We looked last week at the great differences between Mary and Martha, but what's com their commonality at this point outweighs their differences. And Jesus is going to go up. They, they had sat and brooded and cared for their brother. They had called doctors from Jerusalem. They had done their best. They had heard the word from the messenger as he came back. Where is he? Well, he said, this sickness is not unto death. I don't know if that means he's coming or don't worry about it. I'm sure they seized on that initially, but then they, they sat and they watched him. Like you and I have done with many, many times I've been in hospice and watched the process of the, the breathing becoming more shallow, the, the whole process, and then that last breath. Then the, the ashy look that comes and how quickly things change. You realize that's a vacancy now. They just live through that. And we know that they're thinking, he didn't get here in time. He didn't get here in time. He gave us this false hope. Uh, he, he, he told us that this was not unto death. It was for the glory of God. Uh, you know, where is he? Because when, when they finally see him, both the girls say the same thing. If you had only been here, our brother would not have died. Jesus told the disciples, I'm glad he's dead. Wait till you see what's going to happen now. I'm glad he was, too, because we get to see it in this chapter. And it, that applies to all of us because he's calling all of us. Chapter 5 says one day he's calling all of us out of the tomb, and we're all getting up, flying up, too. So it says, so he entered in 
I'm sorry. So then Jesus came and found that he had lain in the grave for four days already. Now, Bethany was nine in Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs, 1.7 miles away. And he says, when he comes, Lazarus has been in the tomb now for four days. Four days. They could have said Lazarus has been in the tomb four days and rotting. Because they're going to say, Lord, he stinketh. You know, he says, oh, he's rotting. Uh, next week, we'll talk about what happens to a human body in four, in, in four days after it has passed. It's decomposing. It's, what happens is unbelievable. In the culture, you normally buried someone the same day. Uh, the widow of Nain's son is being taken to the cemetery. No doubt he died that day. Jesus woke him up. He was fresh. He wasn't rotting. Uh, Jairus's daughter, the people were already mourning. They're already at the house making all the noise because they normally wanted to get you into the grave the same day because of the humidity, because of the heat, because of how fast the body breaks down in the culture. They didn't believe in, in embalming the way the, the Egyptians or, or we do today. Uh, so they wanted to get him into the crypt as soon as possible. So as soon as he passed, and there must have been people watching, and we'll talk about it more in, in uh, chapter 19. There's a group in the, in the Jewish community still today, Orthodox Jews, called the Hevra Kadesh, the Holy Society. And they're called when someone dies, and they come. And they perform the tahora, the washing. No doubt the girls were kept outside the room where it took place. But they heard the men that were washing the body of Lazarus saying, Lazarus, we're going to turn you over now. We've got to wash this part of your body. We're going to do this. Today, I know the last is a bucket of warm water from the top down. And after the body is washed, then he's placed in the Tachrachim. Um, he's wrapped in a white linen cloth. Wasn't like a mummy. Not, that's not what it says. They had a shroud. They laid him on it. His feet were sh more shallow than the, the far end. Then it was pulled over the head, back down to the feet on the top. It was tied around the ankles, the knees. The hands were tied to the side. Uh, it was tied around the mat to keep the, the jaw closed. And the napkin was there. Not a mummy. And then the herbs were stuffed in. Again, it was Gamaliel who said it's wrong because... We watch, you know, we're all naked when we're born. The scripture says that. We all come in. And then when we die, the opulent, the wealthy people die with jewels and all this stuff. And we're still naked when we go. It says, as we came, so shall we go. So when Gamaliel was there in the Sanhedrin, he had made it a rule that everybody, rich, poor, male, female, should be buried in the Takrakim. Because when we leave, it's all the same. So they were wrapped again in the shroud. And this process had taken place. And then Lazarus was put into, no doubt, the family tomb, which was probably a cave. And a stone was then rolled to the mouth to seal it. It would keep out jackals. It would keep out thieves and so forth. So it's been four days. By the time that Jesus gets there. And many of the Jews came to Mary and Martha to comfort them. Part of the mourning, the Jews would mourn for 30 days at this point in their history. Um, 
Jews that came that were not family would not work for three days. The family would often mourn for the whole 30 days, not going to work and so forth. Then Martha, verse 20, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, she still calls him Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. If you had been here, my brother would not be dead. I don't think she's reproving him. Her heart is broken. She's just saying this. If, you, if, if, if we'd have done this a different way, my brother would still be alive. Look, the girls want a healing. Jesus wants a resurrection. The girls want a healthy brother. Jesus wants a rotten corpse. He's going to manifest his glory. And Easter is going to be within a few weeks after this, when all of us will understand. So she said, if you'd only been, look, as we go through this, we, we see this. He cares about both their broken hearts and those that are there. She says, if only this would have happened. But he was down in the valley saying, waiting, knowing that this is not unto death. Doesn't say Lazarus is never going to die. He's going to have to die twice. But this illness is not going to issue forth in death, is what he said. And then he said, our friend Lazarus, he, he's died. He's sleeping. And I'm glad for your sakes, that I was not there. And now he steps into the middle of this situation that he knows perfectly. So there's no secondary causes. If you'd have only gotten here sooner, if we could have only found a specialist, if we had only got these other people to do chemo instead of those people, if we'd have only said this more to our kid before they went out and got drunk in a car wreck, if we'd have only told them to go to the doctor sooner, if we'd have only done this, only do, like, there's all these secondary causes. There are no secondary causes. J.R. McDuff writes a great book called A Bow in the Clouds. We try to give it out to folks. Charles Spurgeon, I started reading McDuff years ago because Charles Spurgeon said, if you want an hour of depth and spirituality, read McDuff. So I started getting all of it. And McDuff had lost a sister, a nursemaid, his first wife, his son at 10 years old, his second wife. And he sat in the highlands of Scotland without laptops and mobile devices. And in 10 years, he put together a study for those who are broken in the morning called a bow in the clouds. And his point is behind those clouds, there's a rainbow, there's a covenant. And his first chapter is no secondary causes. It isn't, well, if we'd have done this, we'd have, no, no. Just as here, God was in control. God knew. God loved Lazarus more than his sisters. He knew what was ahead. He had it in better hands. Both sisters were allowed to come to him. They were different and and to vent in their own way, not in any evil way, but pouring out their, their hearts to him. Look, this morning, here in this room, we've had a lot of funerals in the last couple of months, in the last year. And what we want to watch carefully through this scene is Jesus. 
with the broken. He made sure this got recorded so we could look at this together this morning. He made sure because he knew some of you were going to be sitting here just having lost someone. You're still raw. You're still broken. He made sure this got to us because there are many of us that are going to, you know, through hospice, we're going to face that hour. And we're going to have to remember, you know, we'll take our last breath in this world, take the next breath in the next world, but we're going to have to remember in that transition, he's getting us up again. He's getting us up again. He called Lazarus out. He's going to call me out one day. These things are here with a purpose. And one of those first things is there's no secondary causes. If we'd have only done this, if we'd have only done that, if we could have done this, would it? no, no. He knows ahead of time. All of our days are written out, it says in Psalm 139. He knows all of them before we live them out. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. And he's going to get glory in this particular situation. He doesn't blow the sisters off. He doesn't say, oh, they, you know, I don't want to hear that again. Well, you guys are white, you know, crybabies. You know, there's none of that. He enters into their pain with them. And would have us know today if that pain and that brokenness is in our lives, we can go to him. He saw it ahead of time. He sees the other side of it. And there's no consolation anywhere in this world. We need to run to Jesus. Death is foreign to us. When God created Adam and Eve, he did not give them a file in their software for death. If Adam hadn't sinned, he'd still be alive. The planet would be pretty crowded, but he'd still be alive. So when we encounter death, it's an intruder. It's foreign. It's a trespasser. We don't have a file to put it in. And you watch all different people. Well, I've watched for years. Mourn in all different ways. What do we do now? Do I get rid of his clothes? Do I keep his clothes? Do I cook or not cook? Do I clean the house? Not clean the house? Do I do this? Do I do that? There's, there's this whole thing because there's no particular file for death. So that in Revelation 21, one of the first things the Lord says, we get there, there's no more death. No sorrow, no pain, no suffering. So even as you and I as Christians, when we encounter death, it's hard. I remember when my dad died. Hardest I ever cried in my life. Um, And many of you uh, were giving me verses. I understand. Well intended, and I appreciate it. But... Most of the time I was thinking, I know the verses. I've been teaching you the verses for 30 years. My problem is not that I don't know the verses. My problem is that my heart is broken and it hurts. Because someone I knew and loved that I used to be able to put my arms around is gone. I know I'm going to see him again. I know what the verses say. But this stinks. And he knows that about us. Martha is different than Mary. She comes and says, Lord, if you'd have been here. And she says, I know that even now, whatever you will ask of God, 
God will give it to you. We're not sure what she's saying there. What, she's, what Jesus is thinking, you don't understand, I am God. And she's going to know that more clearly as the chapter goes on. Whatever you ask of God in the grammar is like, he has to approach and appeal God for a particular thing. He's going to say, no, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God. And, and he says that the word became flesh and tabernacle among us. We beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No man hath any time seen God, but the only begotten Son, it's in the heart of God, has displayed him. He's exegeted him for us, uncovered and brought us in Jesus Christ. So she says, even now, Lord, I know whatever you ask of God, he's going to give it. Later in the chapter, she'll really know that what she was saying was true. And Jesus said unto her, thy brother shall rise again. And the Greek there is to stand up, to get up. He's only sleeping. He's going to get up again. Your brother will rise again. So will your father. So will your husband. So will your mom. So will your friends. So will your sister. If they were believers, they're going to rise again. It's going to happen. And it can't be too far in the distance looking at this world. God is a moral being. And he doesn't measure time by the calendar or the clock. He measures time morally. And he says it will be like when there's a corpse and the vultures are hovering. When it's so rotten it becomes apparent to the birds of prey. That's what the last days are going to be looking like. It's just going to become so rotten. And the Son of Man is going to come. We have to be close. She said, thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said unto him, yeah, I know, Lord, he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I, 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 I've got my theology down, Lord. The Pharisees and the Essenes down uh, Qumran, they believed in resurrection. The Sadducees, who were the ruling party, didn't believe in the resurrection. So the ones with the most clout at this time taught that that was not true. But these girls seem to be theologically sound. They seem to be orthodox in their Jewish faith. They believe in resurrection. And she says, Lord, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection at the last day. John uses that more than other, any other gospel writer. And last day in John's gospel is always attached to the idea of judgment or the very last day, she's looking forward to that last day. I know, Lord, I'm going to see him again. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection. You know these verses, and I do. We thank God for this chapter about Lazarus. We're so thankful it's just that Jesus didn't heal him. He raised him. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead... Yet shall he live, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And, and Martha, remarkably, look at verse 7. She said, 27, she says unto him, Yea, Lord, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now, Peter said that, but has spent a lot more time with him. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Now, isn't it interesting when he gets with her, she ends up in a, a theological dialogue with him, 
but he knows she compartmentalizes. She does this, you know, this is the way she leads her life. You know, she obsesses about this and that. That's the way she sees life in compartments and boxes, you know, just... And so he dialogues with her about that. And she said, oh, yeah, well, I, I, your brother's going to rise again. Yeah, I know, Lord, in the, in the resurrection at the last day. He says, I am. Not I will be. It's not a future tense. I am standing right here in front of you. I am the resurrection and the life. As he is today for every broken heart in this room. And to hear that from him means everything in this world and in the next world. My advice would be if you're in that place of mourning, keep your eyes on Jesus. Do your best. No pastor, no friend, no son and daughter, though they're all well-meaning, can say what the deepest part of your being needs to hear. It will only come from his presence. We think of Stephen when they're ready to stone him. The stones are hitting him, and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And he's able to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing as he's being beaten to death by stones. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me... Believeth, you see the ETH guy, King James, he who is believing, present tense, in me, though he were dead, past tense, though he has died physically, yet shall he continue to live. Yet shall he continue to live, present tense. Past tense, though he has died, he shall continue to live. Lazarus was still alive. He was still alive in a different place. Look, once we go through that passage into the eternal, we ain't going to want to come back here anymore. Lazarus is still alive. We never hear from him because I'm not sure what he would have said when he, he's drugged back into this world. Chuck Smith, my pastor, always used to say, look, If I drop dead, if I die, I do not want you guys to get around me and pray for God to raise me up. He said, because if he does, the first person I see when I stand up, I'm punching in the nose. Did you bring me back from glory to this world? I'm not going to be happy. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, though he were dead, though he has gone through the process and died, yet... He still lives. He lives continually. The body died. The man didn't. And then whosoever is living and believing in me, that one shall never, oime, the strongest negative in the Greek, shall never, ever, in no way die. That's you and I. We're we're living. We're believing in him. And because of that, we shall never, ever, ever die. Your body might. But that becomes past tense. But we're going to continue to live. To be absent from the body 
is to be present with the Lord. There's a teaching in the church, soul sleep, that when you die, your soul lives in the body in the grave till the resurrection. The Bible didn't know anything about that, by the way. So Elijah laid on the, the boy that was dead and prayed. It says his soul came back into him again. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, we see in heaven the souls of those around the altar that had died on earth. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Paul says, I had rather, as a matter of fact, go and be with Christ, but I remain here for your sake. He said, that the thief on the cross today, you'll be with me in paradise. When this physical frame takes its last breath and shuts down, look, we're all under warranty. Some of us have gotten an extended warranty, I understand, but they're all, they're all wearing out. Whosoever liveth, is living and believeth in me, shall never, ever, no way, die. And he asked Mary, Martha, and he asked us this morning, do you believe this? Being you? Let me start over. Do you believe this? All right. If not, we might as well pack up and go home. What are we doing here? Right? Zoroaster's in his tomb. Confucius in his tomb. Muhammad's in his tomb. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. And those of you who go with us next year are going to see that. And if the rapture happens before then, you'll just see it all for yourself. That's one that you can't afford to go on that he's bought the ticket for that trip. Believest thou this? And she said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, which should come into the world. I do believe that. And when she had said so, when she had said this, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly. She must have gone in and whispered in her ear, saying, because the crowd doesn't know, they, they assume something. The master is come and calleth for thee. The master is come and called for thee. The teacher, that's the word there, is come. In the culture, most of the rabbis refused to teach a woman. Jesus was vastly different. He said with Mary sitting at his feet, she had chosen the better part. In fact, the Talmud tells us Rabbi Eleazar, Lazarus, same name, said that he would rather burn the law than hand it to a woman. Gals, you've come a long way. That's not Jesus. It wasn't Jesus with Martha. It wasn't Jesus with Mary. There's a Lazarus in this story that isn't the Rabbi Lazarus that's going to speak most loudly about this truth. And it's so interesting. It says, let me read. It says, he calleth for thee. I hope today, you know, again, some of us are up. Some of us are asking questions. Some of us are just in puddles of tears. Can't talk. Can't go anywhere. We're so broken. And to that person, it says, the Lord calleth for thee. Please listen today. The Lord calleth for thee. Your sweet, sweet Savior 
who stands on both sides of this equation with no secondary causes, call it for thee. That's remarkable. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was at the place where Martha had met him. So she leaned over and said, the master's calling for you. He's down the main street, make a right at the fig tree, and then right past the McDonald's on the left-hand side. You know, she, she, gave, she told him exactly where it was. Uh, and, and the Jews then, which were with her in the house, and comforted her when they saw Mary that she rose up hastily and went out, they followed her, saying, She is going to the grave to weep. Were they wrong? Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, it's so hard to imagine that emotion. She saw him, their eyes, no doubt locked and she saw him and she fell down at his feet saying unto him Lord same thing her sister said if secondary causes if thou hadst been here my brother had not died it's where we find Mary again three times this Mary Sitting at the feet of Jesus, Luke 10, in the house. Falling at the feet of Jesus here. In John 11 and in John 12, wiping his feet with her hair. Every single time we meet this girl, she's at the feet of Jesus. Martha's up. She's around. She's doing. Both good. Both necessary. But isn't interest our, our, interest our Savior, the one girl... And she would be the one that would come first. She's busier. And she says, if you'd only been here. But I, I know now even if you ask God of something, he can give that to you. Martha, your brother will rise again. Oh, I know, Lord. In the resurrection at the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. No man comes to the Father, but by me. He, he, he goes, I am. He gives us these different I am's. This is the fifth one here. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Then he asked her, the dialogue, believest thou this? Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, Son of the living God. When Mary comes, there's no dialogue. She falls at his feet and she weeps. What it says that Jesus did here is that he wept. The New Testament written by the Spirit of God will say, weep with those that weep, mourn with those who mourn. He put on our flesh and he stepped into all of this with us. If you're a Mary and you have no words and you're of the nature that you just have loved the Lord and sat at his feet and learned so much, now some tragedy has entered into your life that doesn't seem to reflect who he is. 
And if you're thinking like all of us think, like you thought, Lord, if you'd have only, Lord, if you'd have only. And he didn't want a healing for the girls or for you and I. He wanted a resurrection to put in front of us. And we will see that next week if the Lord tarries. If not, you talk to Lazarus yourself. But the amazing thing for me is to see him here through the scene. How he, he recognizes the difference. We're all different. We argue about this sometimes. We, it turns into conflict sometimes. Now, that's not what he wants. He's made us different on purpose. And somehow in that, there's every joint, every ligament supplying. Somehow in that, there's the body of Christ healthy in love, caring for one another. And we do it different ways because of who he's made us. And when our hearts are broken, all of us, remarkably, our Savior can spread himself out without spreading himself out. And he can meet individually with every believer on the planet without lessening himself in any way. And if he goes to your sister Martha and gives to her, and then he comes to you, you're not getting half because Martha got the first half. In each circumstance, you get all that he is and all that he cares for you with is his heart. So my prayer, and let's stand, let's pray together. Let's pray for the most broken among us here today. Let's pray for those of us that believe that our faith would only be strengthened as time would go on, that the resurrection would just become sweeter and sweeter to us. It says, Jesus said, I want this to happen so you guys will believe. Well, they already believed, but belief is a progress. Belief deepens and it grows. And certainly by the time you get older, get towards the end, you need to believe in the resurrection more at that point than when you're 25 and think nothing's ever going to happen. So let's take these things to ourselves today. This chapter, if it hadn't been in John, we'd all been robbed in some incredible way. But the Lord has made sure it came down through 2,000 years, was put in our hands this morning. And when the Lord wrote this gospel through the hand of John, the Lord said at the end, I've written these things that you might believe that I am the Son of God and that believing you might have life through my name. Lord Jesus, we look to you, Lord. We can open the scriptures, we can look at these things, but Lord, you're the one who makes the, the words rise off the page. Lord, you're the one who dis, divides the loaves and the fishes and feeds a multitude. You're the one who's able to give to everyone who comes through here this morning, to everyone who might listen on the radio or on the app, or however it might be, you're the one who can give each individual their portion, Lord. You know, each individual heart. Lord, you know the things that we all should have in common that are non-negotiable. And yet you know the things in us that are different from others by your genius that need to be spoken to of those non-negotiable things in different ways. So, Lord, we commit that to you. You see us, Lord. You see the world that we're in. You hear our heart cry. 
And again, Lord, quickly we commit to you our brothers and sisters among us this morning that are the most broken. Let them hear from your word, the master calleth for thee. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.